Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you as always for joining me on this latest Thursday HR on the Offensive podcast. Uh, we're delighted that you're here and I'm delighted that I've got a couple of guests from one of our strategic partners, The Clear Company. And one of the reasons I wanted to get, I'll introduce the guys in a second, but one of the reasons I wanted to get them on today was that at Lace Partners, we spend a lot of time talking to HR teams about how they use their people data. And we've had a couple of podcasts in which we talk about you know, the value and how you can get better at using data analytics in your people function. But we haven't really done anything specific on DNI or DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so what I wanted to do today is get two colleagues along from the Clear Company to talk a little bit around mini guide which the Clear Company produced and it's called Data Metrics. It's a data metrics mini guide. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before I get the guys to talk about the Clear Company and obviously the guide itself, I should really introduce them. Maria uh, Carolina Baggio, she is the senior consultant at the Clear Company. Maria, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Chris. I'm doing well. Thank you. So yeah, my name is Maria well, nice to meet everyone that's listening to the podcast. I am a senior consultant at the Clear Company, and I've been working with DNI for uh, five to six years now. I started in Brazil, where I'm born and raised, and since I moved to the UK last year, um, I've been working with Clear. Yeah, and I work in all sorts. I work in a lot, a lot in learning, facilitating, producing content, and also in auditing. So you know, all sorts of different lenses, I guess. And I've been working with Rian very closely on DNI since it's such a, a, a trending topic, as Chris said. So we've been doing lots of research together, developing things, and and one of them is is the data guide. Looking Thanks for having to- me. That's good to have you on. Good to have you on. We're looking forward to doing a bit of a deep dive into some of the uh, bits of the guide. But uh, let's introduce your uh, partner in crime for today, which is Rianne Alexander, who is a business psychologist at the company. Rianne, tell the lovely listeners um, who you are and what you do. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for um, having Maria and I on your podcast. So as you say, I'm Rian Alexander. Um, I'm a business psychologist and consultant at The Clear Company. So um, I do a little bit of everything, really, but a bit of an all-rounder. I have a, um, yeah, lot, lots of different roles and responsibilities. Um, I've been at the company coming up to two years now, which has flown by in the world of COVID-19. It's it's gone very, very quick. And obviously the world of work has uh, changed drastically in that time um, as as well. I work across the business in learning and in audit, um, but particularly um, at the moment, as Maria said, on our data side of the business as well, because it's, you know, a really emerging trend that, you know, a lot of our clients are, are asking us questions about. So we've done a lot of work in this space. Cool. And we'll get we'll get on to talking about that. And I'm interested to get your thoughts on the different types of data that companies are are using at the moment or have been certainly casting more of a, an eye on it since uh, particularly since the pandemic as well. But just before we do that, do you want to just mention just for a heads up for those people that maybe haven't heard the launch podcast that we did, we did a few weeks ago, who the clear company are and what they do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I definitely won't do this justice. So head to the website if you want some more details. But we're a diversity and inclusion consultant 
consultancy um, who do, you know, a, a vast range of work within the diversity and inclusion space. So one of our sort of prime um, products really is our audit process. So we really sort of deep dive into organizations, policies, procedures, you know, everything across the board, um, looking at uh, documents, doing uh, research in terms of stakeholder interviews, focus groups. But beyond the audit, you know, we have lots of other things as well, such as inclusive hiring, learning, digital offerings as well. Um, our flagship Clear Assured platform. So yes, head to the website if you want to read anything more about any of those things. Cool. So let's talk about the, the mini guide itself then. I guess my first question was around, and I don't know who wants to answer that first, so I'll let you have a free swim as to who wants to have the first go at it. But I wanted to find out about the common types of data that companies that you're speaking to are collecting at the moment. And linked into that, I guess, is probably a general question I have as to why you guys decided to put together this mini guide in the first place, really. I think if I jump in for the first, go for uh, it. first question, yeah, go for it. I think the long story short is that there's not a lot of data collection going on, which right. is why, you know, so many, so many uh, clients are coming to us with these questions because, you know, a lot of people just really don't know where to start. So the, the common data points we see, gender, age, sometimes ethnicity, in terms of those diversity monitoring questions, but in terms of, you know, more rich data collection, that culture engagement piece, we're not seeing it that much, although organisations are aware that they need to start doing it. Um, and I think a struggle is that, you know, even organisations that are doing it maybe aren't doing it in the best way. So an example of that is that ethnicity data. You know, we've seen reports where organisations are reporting on white and non-white, which obviously is not, not inclusive of ethnic diversity. And we really need to broaden that and report in the right way to make that data meaningful. Similarly with gender, Maria is a gender expert, so I'm sure she'll be able to tell you more, but, you know, reporting on gender in a very binary way um, as well. So we really need to think about it in its most inclusive, broad sense. Yeah, yeah definitely, Rian. I agree with everything. And I think that's why, Chris, we came up with a guide, really, because we've been clients, I think, since I joined the Clear company a year ago, clients have been asking more and more about data. I think something that really grew from, from a couple of years back, you know, from now. And the guidance, because it because we are dealing with sensitive data, the guidance is really important. So there is a legislation framework that, that, that kind of guides the whole data collection, data analysis, distribution. But also we are dealing with difficult things to disclose sometimes. So as Rian mentioned, I work a lot with gender and sexuality and the questions need to be framed very carefully. So you are collect so first you are collecting what you want to collect, which is which is very important from point of view of anal analyzing the data and using the data, but also in a way that people feel respected, they feel protected, they feel safe, and thus they will disclose. Something we find very often as well is beautiful in place self ID systems, but people are not feeling safe enough to disclose the data. So this is why it's so important that there is you know the questions are spot on, the categories are spot on, the options. Um, that you have when you answer the question, but also that respondents have transparency as to, you know, who is going to have access to it, what's is what what is it going to be used for, you know, how is it going to be reported, what are people going to get from disclosing their data? So, you know, how is it going to be used to improve things, to change things for the better in a way towards inclusion? 
Yeah. Do you think, I was going to ask you, again, I don't mind who answered this question, so uh, feel free to just jump in, but do you think there is, with this particular area, there's a lot of businesses that are almost a bit scared and afraid to collect this kind of data because of some of the complexities and also the need for that transparency. What do you? What's your, what are your general thoughts around that in terms of, I guess the general question is around companies being a little bit scared to collect the data. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to get started on that, Rian? There won't be to go. <laughs> I, I don't mind. I was going to. I was just going to say, Chris, that I think you've you've got that spot on there. You know, it, it feeds into that sort of, you know, not that I like using the term, but that political correctness piece as well. But mm-hmm. you know, we make this point over and over again in diversity and inclusion that you know having the conversation is it's you know in a respectful way is more important. So you know, you might feel quite intimidated to collect this data and, um, you know, what what do you ask? How do you ask it? How do you word it? You know, am I going to offend people if I miss out certain categories? But that's why, you know, seeking guidance on that best practice approach is really important to give you the confidence to approach that data collection um, in the best way. And, you know, there are multiple ways to to do that as well. You know, the Office for National Statistics is, you know, a great way to, to, to benchmark really. So that sort of the first point of guidance really in what you should be be asking and in what what way although uh, I'm sure we have our own thoughts in how they could uh, maybe improve that data collection but yeah I, I certainly agree that it, it's something that organizations are nervous to do but certainly from my experience anyone that we've spoke to and gone through this process and you know worked on that data collection piece with the minute you explain, you know, that that best practice approach and how to do it, how to answer, how to, how to ask the questions in, in a respectful way, you know, those confidence levels really, really shoot up and, you know, you get a, a much um, a much more, you know, thorough picture of your organisation, which comes with a whole host of benefits, which I'm, I'm sure we'll move on to. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would just add, Rian, to your point that there is a lot of misunderstanding around legislation. We see that a lot with, with global clients. So it is it is quite a challenge to collect data globally, but it is possible to do it. But I think the whole point around transparency and a dialogue is so important in that case as well. So, you know, building a dialogue with local teams, consulting local legal teams, local ERGs, if that exists, and then you definitely have the best advice around what you can do, what you can't to do in terms of culture and in terms of legislation sometimes companies mistake that as well they mistake what is culturally acceptable or taboo in a country from what you can and can't do legally and they're not the same thing culturally it might be a bit tricky and that possibly indicates that there needs to be some work before trying to collect the data we we have seen that with clients clients that were jumping straight into you know we want to collect data but when we audited their culture and and talked to people and helped focus groups people were just not feeling safe uh, and sometimes not even because of something that company itself had done it was from bad industry experiences in other employers so i think i think there needs to be sometimes there needs to be some work behind the scenes as well with uh, communication with leadership uh, awareness before you can jump into data collection as well yeah you're right and i've never thought about that from a from the global perspective like 
even a national perspective, the complexity and the nuances that are needed when you're collecting some of this data is it's complex enough as it is. But then when you add the layer of different cultures and, and mm-hmm. you know different countries and you've got multinational organizations that are trying to create, okay, we want a standardized set of data points so that we can start measuring, it becomes a lot more trickier, doesn't it? But have you got any examples of kind of really good use cases of companies that are collecting the they're using dni based data just to improve their own approaches is there any good examples of that the best practice that you could you could give our listeners yeah definitely so we have worked with a few different clients in implementing data measurements in recruitment so measuring different stages of recruitment so for example attraction shortlisting hiring and you know if people are still there after 12 months and we have seen these clients using this data to review their recruitment program processes. So for example, if um, there is a bottleneck in shortlisting, but you have good diversity and attraction, what is happening in that process, you know, and you can analyze that data per group. So for example, if we look at women applicants, if we look at minority ethnic applicants, can we even have an intersection between the two so we can understand what's happening with, for example, black women versus white women in that process. So we can get to kind of that granular detail and understand, you know, how we, how are these different groups then experiencing this process? So once you have the qu- the quantitative data, uh, the percentages and stuff, you can move towards more, maybe more qualitative data and gathering other data points that will help to um, find the root causes. So we have found clients that, that that have been doing it. So for example, reviewing job, descri- job descriptions because that diversity simply wasn't at attraction stage, much less in other stages of the recruitment process. So something had to be changed in attrition to get there. What we've seen with other clients as well, for example, is even with gender pay gap data, which is man- mandatory for many companies, it's such a useful data set if you stop to analyze So we have done some cross-sector work with different companies from from the same sector, basically. And what we found is that, for example, some of them had a situation in which they had good representation of women in senior levels, but not as good for operational positions. And, And why is that so? Of course, the data points that we had didn't get to the root cause, but at least we found where the problem was. So this is this is a phenomenon that's happening. So how can we change this? What why else do we need to ask ourselves? to be able to find the root cause and then act on it. So yeah, I think I think these are some examples from me. I think to, to, to build on that, uh, Maria, you're absolutely right. It's using that data to compare it to your processes to, you know, see where those discrepancies might be. And that's, you know, super, super important. But I think something that's also forgotten, but, you know, we are seeing increasingly with um, the clients we work with is that culture piece as well. So we do actually have something that we've designed called the Inclusion Maturity Index Diagnostic. And this is a data um, collecting tool that looks at the culture um, of inclusion so it looks at that culture side of your organization as well as those demographic um, data points and what what this allows really ties in with what what Maria was saying in terms of that best practice with processes is that you can look at that data, look at your process data as well. So for instance, if you're looking at bonuses on an annual basis, 
Um, you might look at your bonuses and think, you know, it looks pretty fair. But when you look at the, the diversity data of that process, you might find that actually, you know, say 80% of men in your organization receive a particular particularly high bonus compared to 52% of women in your organization, which, you know, is data within itself. You know, it's great to collect that data, but you've got to go a step further than that and almost deeper than that and try and understand, you know, why is that happening? So when you've got that culture data point as well, you might find that actually um, women are scoring and rating the organisation a lot lower in terms of its climate for inclusion than than for men. So there might be something within your culture that you, that you need to look at. So it's painting that really full picture of what those experiences of inclusion are for different people in your organisation, as well as those you know very real objective measurements and what those differences are for particular people in your organization um, and as Maria was saying we're working with a lot of clients on building that process and as you can imagine it, it is a process you know you can't go in and do it all at once and getting that employee buy-in as well so that as Maria said people feel safe and open to share all of those data points but you know once you start that process you know within a year two years you can really get to a point where you've built you know a really robust and thorough data set that can give you some really meaningful data that solves solves problems in your organizations and not just that but creates a more inclusive environment for, for, for everybody yeah well I was just going to ask you as you were talking about there and building data over time I was thinking if I'm a HR director listening into this podcast and you know I'm looking at the data that we're currently collecting on DNI and in, or in that space how often are teams or should teams be, I know you're probably going to tell me it varies from business to business, so please feel free to just say that, but how often should be, should businesses be collecting this, sorry, be analysing this data? Is this, are these, are most businesses that you work with doing this just on an annual basis so they can just get annual sort of data? Do they have a, a more a regular sort of cadence of collecting this information? And then obviously there's one thing collecting it, but then it's the actual analysis of it. What's what's best practice or what, what do you see more often? How often teams collect and then analyze and interpret this data? I think I can speak from the sort of engagement data side. So, you know, our recommendation is six monthly or annually. Um, we see annually more than six monthly. And I think, you know, that's more down to, to, to resource, which is completely understandable. But, you know, having that annual report of where things have changed, what the culture was the year before versus what it is, what it is now. Um, you know, if we're looking at uh, the recruitment side, you know, that's an ongoing thing, really. You could do that quarterly, really, depending on, you know, what what your hiring is like at, at particular times of year, because that data will be continually collected as you get new applicants, you know, for, for every single new applicant, really. I don't know whether Maria wants to talk about the um, HR systems side, because that's obviously slightly yeah, different. Yeah, definitely. So actually, what I was going to say first is that it does vary from business to business, Chris, as you've said wisely. But I think the most important thing here is which questions are you trying to answer with the data? So what are you trying to monitor? I think that's what will give you how often you should be collecting and analysing and reporting it. So, for example, Rian just talked about the engagement survey, which can be done, which can be done uh, every six months or, or yearly. And it doesn't really make sense to do it much less, much more often than that, because it's a cultural change and it takes a while to take place. So, but on the other hand, if you're trying to monitor hiring and recruitment is something that should be collected 
every time you do it. So you, you get the data collected for every single data point, every single applicant. And of course, not everyone will disclose it. So that's even even one more reason as to why it should be uh, attempted at, at every uh, application in a way. And yeah. how often that will be reviewed and reported, I think it depends on how urgent and the level of priority for that action that you're trying to do and how quick that, that can change as well. So, for example, what we see with what I was talking about, job applications, changing job applications, to be honest, the changes are quite quick. So you could try measuring and reporting that in a smaller interval in a way to get that kind of moving faster and you will see changes happening faster. So it really depends what you're trying to monitor and which question really is is getting you to look into that data in the first place. Mm. Are there any trends? I was just thinking, is there any trends from pre-pandemic or any data points that you're seeing businesses focus a lot more on now than they were pre-pandemic? I, I think it's an obvious one, but the uh, flexible working, agile working is built into, you know, most engagement surveys that we see now, because, you know, um, if, if you're collecting data, you might as well uh, collect it all in one go when you've got people responding, really. So that sort of just times into the strategic element, you know, the strategic timing of distributing a questionnaire. But yeah, organisations are increasingly asking about that desire for flexible working, um, you know, returning to the office which, you know, as Maria said um, a moment ago, you know, that will change as the situation changes, which we've all seen in, in the last week. So, you know, organisations might be thinking, you know, we collect we collected this data last month, but people's flexible working, agile working, remote working um, needs might have changed within the last uh, 48 hours. So, you know, there's a consideration to sort of run run that data, um, run that data again. I wanted to ask you actually from a recruitment side, one of the questions that I had written down when reading and looking through the actual guide itself was around unconscious bias. So have you got any examples about how businesses are using DNI data just to to measure unconscious bias in their recruitment processes? Yeah, so I think that the examples I gave before around recruitment data, so measuring uh, percentages of applicants in attraction and then shortlisting and then hiring, for example, is a powerful way, to be honest. So once you analyze the trends and for different groups, you can find the bottlenecks mm. and the bottlenecks will usually point to unconscious bias. So for example, let's say you have a fair representation of minority ethnic talent at attraction, and then that kind of stays the same representation through shortlisting. But when it comes to hiring, it drops dramatically. Automatically. So what's happening at interview stage that's causing that? So it kind of points to where you should look into. And let's suppose that for female talent, you have a low representation in attraction that kind of grows in shortlisting. So you see there's there are lots of, of women kind of go coming through. So is that some some skewer that what's going on, you know, in that process? And why isn't there a fair representation on on attraction? Uh, and maybe if there was a fair representation on attraction, you would have a good number of hires because they are going through shortlisting. So that's a good sign actually that this these women are kind of passing through this first process. So why aren't they in the first place? So this these are the things we can look at with this really basic recruitment data to be honest. It doesn't need to be anything much more Robuster, complex than than this. This already shows you shows you a lot, to be honest. 
Yeah. One of the just linked to that actually, and having worked in the recruitment industry myself mm-hmm. um, previously before I worked at Ace Partners, I thought one of the bits in the guide which was particularly pertinent was when you talk about third-party data. Mm-hmm. So yeah. linked, I guess, to that unconscious bias stuff, and it was almost how can you as a business? When I was thinking about it and reading it, how can you as a business be a hundred percent sure? that the recruitment agency that you're working with, for example, is going to be able to accurately measure and capture that data that then helps you, helps your employer brand and and something like that. So can you just uh, perhaps if one of you guys can just touch on what you talk about in the guide about the challenges and how you can get how you need to be working with your your third party providers um, to to make sure you're getting that accurate data? Yes, definitely. That's such a good question, Chris. And I think that's one way see a lot in our clients, especially when we do recruitment audits. So that that comes up a lot. So I think on the challenges and issues, they're quite similar, to be honest. So having the right systems to capture the data, uh, there, there can be disclosure issues, there can be legal challenges as well, as the data has to you know, pass from one hand to the other in a way, has to travel between organizations or individuals. And there is the whole disclosure issue for recruitment specifically, that's when a candidate is applying for a job, it might feel quite unsafe to disclose your personal data, isn't it? You have no idea if you're going to be discriminated against. So I think, I think there is um, a similar challenge there. But what we recommend a lot to our clients is when contracts are set up, when terms of engagement and terms of reference are set up between the parties, data, in the first place, data has to be there as a requirement. So we too often don't even see that. Uh, it's not even there as, as a conversation between the parties in the first place. So how, how, are you, how is it going to be done? What do we require in terms of data collection? But what we've been seeing as best practice among some of our clients is a real partnership there, recognizing that challenges are similar, recognizing that resources might not be similar. So you might have uh, really small recruitment suppliers, small agencies, or even individuals, or or else you might have really big suppliers that have their own ways of doing it and their own ways of reporting. So what we have seen, for example, uh, with some of our clients is, so we have benchmarking online platform called ClearShore. So we have clients using it with their supply chains to work on which measures are we going to report, how are we going to do it, but also all that piece behind it on, you know, what do we need to communicate, what do we need to have in place so people disclose their data in the first place because you might have the most beautiful data collection tool in the world, but if people don't feel safe to disclose their data, you're not going to get anything. So Mm. they're working together, they're partnering on all the templates and discussions and resources to make the work for the whole chain and supporting each other really on this journey, which which we find really important. Just to um, add to that, Maria, as well, I think it, it comes down to the real basics of diversity and inclusion as well at those very early conversations when, you, when you're developing that partnership and that um, both parties need to be aligned on the importance of diversity and inclusion in the first place. You know, um, if you're partnering, partnering with a recruitment agency, you know, you need to understand their business case for diversity and inclusion as much as they need to understand yours. And that buy-in is so, so, so 
um, important. And, you know, the, the stats are there, the research is there, the business case is there. But sometimes, you know, also building into that conversation why diversity and inclusion is important to your organisation and why that you're having that conversation around diversity and inclusion data uh, and the benefit that that's going to bring to your organisation. Because I think that understanding is really important. Otherwise, you know, you, you might be in a, approaching an agency that doesn't see the value in collecting this data, doesn't see the value in what you're going to do with that data as a result. So yeah, just really drawing it back to basics um, in those initial conversations is really important as well. Yeah, I think it's, you guys have essentially been saying this, um, it's the relationship, isn't it? It's the relationship that you've got with your supplier. And actually that relationship should be built on the foundation of the fact that you both have similar values and you're in your approaches to it. So why would you employ an agency? If you're if you are so focused on ensuring that you are delivering on your your mandate to be a DNI kind of employer and an inclusive employer, then dial it back before you've even decided which suppliers that you're working with. That should be part of that process to make sure that they're they're then bought in as well. We're just coming towards the end of the podcast. I wanted to ask one more question, which is kind of a bit like a if you don't do anything else or things that you need to think about as a result of this podcast, and it kind of links to the guide as well, because you talk about some key questions that you as a business should ask yourself if you're starting to collect DI data. So just as we wrap up today, can you just give our listeners a couple of things that they need to think about? Homework, if you like. The, the obvious first one is the, the usual GDPR compliance. So, you know, how that data is being stored and protected, who has access to it. And it's not just thinking about those things internally for how, you know, you as a team are handling that data, but also how that is communicated to your employees, to your respondents. You know, um, we've mentioned a lot about people feeling safe to, to share this data. Communicating how it's being stored and who will have access to it plays a massive, you know, role in that. If you can assure your employees that, you know, your, your line manager is not going to have access to this data ahead of your annual review, um, uh, you know, that'll encourage people to be more, more open and honest in sharing, you know, sharing their diversity and being open and honest, you know, on, on those diversity uh, monitoring forms. So um, I think that would be my sort of uh, top, top thing to consider. Cool. And Maria, the homework that you wish to give our listeners today. <laughs> I think I will go back to the the question definition really. So data doesn't translate into information if you don't know what you're looking for. It can mean anything really. So having clarity into, you know, what uh, what am I trying to monitor? What am I trying to measure? Which questions do I have? You may get new questions from the data and that's a really good sign. It's a sign that you're getting curious about it, that you're trying to find what's behind it. And that's the sweet spot really. But you need to have in mind, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you investigating? I think it's that investigation really, because that will translate into strong analysis which will translate into good, efficient quality reporting, useful reporting, you know, that we can draw actions from, really. So, yeah, I think that's my homework. That's perfect. Thank you very much. On behalf of obviously the team, Lace Partners, uh, thank you very much, Maria and Rian, for joining us today. Thank you, thank you so having. much. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been really, really good having you on. I'm sure we'll get you guys on again soon. But uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the HR on the Offensive podcast, we're on everywhere that you get your podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, 
you can get us on the Alexa or Amazon podcasts. I think it is Stitcher, Spotify. We're in the usual places. What we'll do as well is we'll put a copy or a link, sorry, not copy, a link to the actual data metrics guide. So if you want to download that, you can do that in the show notes of this podcast as well. Uh, once again, um, thanks to my guests from The Clear Company, and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.